We wanted to be here today to be able to uh, talk about the prayer walk, but uh, he's in Turlock this morning with the uh, senior class as they're having the baccalaureate service and he is their speaker. And uh, we thank, we praise the Lord that we've got a young man here as our pastor that um, is loved by the students and uh, they chose him. You know, a couple of times we have um, had a prayer walk during a prayer meeting, but that's been right here in our own church. We've divided up into two and three, uh, groups of two and three. We've come into the sanctuary. We have uh, presented the sanctuary to the Lord as his meeting place, and uh, we pray that this will be the place that people will come to meet with their God. We've prayed in our committee room for those who make the decisions. We've prayed in the pastor's study for our pastor. We've been through all of the classrooms and prayed for the various classes that we have. We've been in the preschool. And now he wants to launch out into the community. Someone might say, <clears throat> Well, you know, in this day and age, it, is it really safe? People will look, wonder, what are those people doing out there? Who are they? You may even have somebody come out and ask you. So what's wrong with saying to them something like this? You know, we live in an age when... Uh, we are plagued with drugs, gangs, all sorts of problems. We're Christians, and we're in this community. You could even tell them. We're from Parkwood Seventh-day Adventist Church. And we are praying for this community that it will be drug-free, gang-free, and it will be a beautiful place, a community in which to live. How could they be upset over that? Come, join with those of us who will be prayer walking. And I don't think he left any of these, but we had a prayer meeting. <clears throat> he gave out a map that night and uh, so that we won't be going to the same territory. You can pick the area that you want to go to, and um, then each of us will have a section in which we will prayer walk. So before we open the word of God, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning asking that you will be with us, that you will open the scripture to us, only through the Holy Spirit can we truly understand what you are saying to us. And as Joe mentioned this morning, the study of Zephaniah is a time when God's people, the leadership, the king, was offering a revival. The people 
did not accept it. Lord, we live in a time like Josiah's time. We pray that we will accept the revival and the reformation. So speak to us today through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Romans is one of my favorite books. Now, we don't know much about the, Rome, the church in Rome. Um, it apparently and obviously was there prior to Pentecost. Because if you look in the second chapter of the book of Acts, there on the day of Pentecost, when you read over the list of individuals, turn to Acts, the second chapter. Because this is an interesting point. Acts 2. I'm sorry, Acts 1. <clears throat> when you look at the um, people who were there, I was right in the first place, Acts 2. Let me get the, um, here in verse 10, I think it is, they're listing the, the various areas from which the people were there on the day of Pentecost, and there it says, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. <clears throat> so they had to be both Jews and Gentiles, and they were from the church of Rome, and this preceded Pentecost. So we're not sure how it started, but it was there. And Paul had a real burden for that church. He wanted to go and visit with them. He had heard about them, he heard things about them. And as you read chapters one and two of Romans, you begin to realize that there was a problem within that church. And in the first chapter of Romans, he talks about the problems with, that the Gentiles are having. And I tell you, the Jews were probably really happy. <clears throat> yeah, Paul, that's exactly the way they are. They're a, a, a terrible bunch of people. But then in the second chapter, he begins to talk about the Jews. And he basically says, you're no better than the Gentiles. It seems that one of the problems, one of the big issues in the Roman church was how is a person saved? And Paul hits that head on right at the start. And we read that in our scripture this morning. Paul says, the just shall live by faith. Now Paul was a scholar of the Old Testament. Remember last week and we studied in our Sabbath school lesson uh, the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk 2 verse 4 is the very word that Habakkuk uses. The just shall live by faith. And Paul was picking up on this. I want to read this to you from a modern paraphrase, a paraphrase that was uh, published in 1975 
by the Pacific Press. This plan is based from beginning to end on trust. And that is just what the scripture means that says, the man in harmony with God is the one basing his life on trust. Now this does away with the philosophy that was prominent in that day and is still prominent today. The salvation by works. Paul says that didn't work. Salvation comes by faith and trust. You have to have trust in something before you can have faith in it. And so Paul is saying you have to have faith in something, and that faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way through salvation is to have that faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who came to this earth and died on the cross and then returned to his Father in heaven. Now that sounds all well and good. <clears throat> but then as I read on, uh, for years, in chapter 7, Paul throws us a curve. Remember that chapter? Turn to chapter 7. Paul has this problem. We look about, uh, let's start at verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And you go on down through there. And uh, verse 21. I find in a law that evil is present with me, the one with, who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring uh, against the law of my mind. What's going on? Have you ever been able to, ever thought about going back to the book of Acts? and tracing Paul's journeys. Do you ever pick up anything like this? Paul struggling? Now remember, you can go to Acts 9 and you can find that Paul went to the city of Damascus and he was preaching and uh, his uh, preaching caused a big stir and uh, they locked the gates so that they would make sure he wouldn't escape. And his fellow workers let him down on the wall in a basket. Also in Lystra, remember they stoned him and they left him for dead. And Paul got up and went right back to what he was doing. Remember in Philippi, he was beaten thrown into prison, 
And there at midnight, he was singing hymns of praise. What is going on with Paul's life? What is happening here in this seventh chapter? The first question that I began to ask myself was, who was Paul? Well, he was from Tarsus. He was Saul of Tarsus. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. We see him there standing, guarding the clothes of the men who are stoning Stephen. But who was he? If you turn to the book of Acts, Paul is testifying for himself, Acts 26 and verse 5. Paul says, they knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sects of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. If you go to the 23rd chapter and look at the 6th verse, you'll find him saying, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Now, who were the Pharisees? And what was their philosophy? What was their teaching? Well, remember, you go to the book of Luke and you'll find a Pharisee coming to the temple and what is he praying? Lord, I thank you I'm not like that guy over there in the corner. Why, I pay my tithe. I keep the Sabbath. I do all of these things, Lord. I give great offerings. Lord, I've done so much work for you, you can't keep me out. And the poor man over in the corner says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. What was the philosophy, the teaching, of the Pharisees. Righteousness, salvation by works. Everything they did was done to make them look good before God. Now notice, Paul was not only a Pharisee of the strictest order, he was a son of a Pharisee, which means from his childhood up, he had been infiltrated with this doctrine. And then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Uh, uh, on the road to Damascus. Now let's notice. He, in chapter 7, says, you know, before, before I knew this law, I was having a great life. 
But this law, after I began to know it, made my life miserable. So is there something wrong with the law? No, no. It's me. Where did he meet this new law? On the road to Damascus. When he came face to face with Jesus Christ. Until he knew the true law. Until he had found this teaching and this belief, this understanding that salvation comes by faith and by trust, he didn't have a problem because he was working his way. I mean, he was doing it well. He was rising up. Everybody was looking at him. They were expecting him to become one of the great leaders of the Pharisees and of the Jewish religion. He had everything going for him. And then he met a new law, a law of love, a law, a law of humility. A law that did not depend on him, but on the one he served. Now let me ask you. Have you ever been tempted to follow the law of works? You know, Seventh-day Adventists, because we have the law, we have the Sabbath, we have uh, health standards, we have uh, dress standards, we have tithing. Sometimes we've had a tendency to be works-oriented. And we all struggle with that. I don't know about you, but I find that when I begin to look and start doing on works, I become pretty judgmental. Well, I can see everything wrong in you guys, but nothing wrong in me. You ever had that problem? Here's where Paul, I believe, and this is only my, my theory, uh, and I've, I have to admit I've never taught this before, because <laughs> I've never seen this in the light until I began to really study it a few weeks ago. And then suddenly, it talks about this law of God, and then this other law that comes in. And I begin to see Paul struggling with this because that had been so ingrained in him that we are saved by works that it was difficult to throw that off and turn over to saved by grace. And so Paul says, you know, I'm doing great. And then all of a sudden, boy, that comes back on me. Where did this law of works come from? 
came from the enemy. It began in heaven. Lucifer began to tell the rest of the angels, we don't have to listen to him. He's no better than the rest of it. We can do it on our own. And he sold it to a third of the angels. They were cast out of heaven. He came to the Garden of Eden and he came up to Eve. And through that serpent he says, Oh, Eve, you don't have to worry about that. You're not going to die. Don't worry. You can do it on your own. And she was cast out of the garden. He came up to Cain and he says, you don't have to offer a lamb. Offer your produce. Good enough. And so he did. And he became an outcast. He came up to Peter and Peter said, Oh Lord, don't worry about me. These others may walk away from you, but I'll never walk away from you. And when it came down to the very moment of decision, he pulled out his sword and he cut off the ear of the servant. And the Lord said, No, 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 Peter. You can't do this on your own. All you need to do, Peter, is accept me. Notice, as we go through the book of Romans quickly, <clears throat> how Paul changes the thinking of his readers he starts out with what we started out with this morning. The just shall live by faith. Then he talks to the Jews, talks to the Gentiles. Then he comes to chapter 4. Turn to chapter 4. <clears throat> Beginning with the first verse, chapter 4. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham trusted God. Now, he made mistakes, but he never lost his trust in God. He knew when he'd made a mistake. Works? Paul says, no. You see, if I could work my way to heaven, then I could boast about what I did to get there. But there'll be no boasting in heaven. And you know, when you begin to look at that, we 
have to recognize God only has one way in which we're going into heaven. And that is a surrender to the Lord Jesus. Now I know there is a, a, a philosophy today in which the last day people, those that are alive when Christ comes, are going to have to be more perfect than any other people have ever been. Let me ask you, if that's true, don't the last day people have something to boast about over the rest of us? Folks, God doesn't change his method of salvation. It's been the same from the very beginning. It will never change. Only one way, and that is a surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and let him work through us. Then you come to chapter uh, 6. And notice what we find in chapter 6. We're going to begin with verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. In a modern paraphrase, it says that now that we have died with Christ, we have been resurrected and can begin to walk the new life. I like that. I like that. We can walk that new life every day of our lives. Why? because we died and were resurrected with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he comes to chapter 7. We've just gone through that. But then he comes to chapter 8. And notice verse 10. Chapter 8, verse 10. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. I want to read that to you from this modern paraphrase. But if Christ is in you, that's the clue. If Christ is in you, then even if you feel completely deadened, by all of your past experiences with evil, remember that spiritually you are alive and well. Wow. Paul is making it very clear. Salvation is not a result of feeling. Paul felt good all the time that he was in this pharisaical way. And then when the Lord said, you got a different way to live, Paul, he began to struggle because that which is inbred within us is very difficult, actually impossible 
for us to overthrow. Only the Spirit of God can remove that from us. Which means this burial of chapter 6. We are buried with Christ and resurrected to a new life. And only as we allow the Spirit to bury us and resurrect us can we walk that new life. Chapter 10, as he continues on. Let's look at verses 8 and on. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So there is a confession from the mouth. Think about it. This means that we need to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we are afraid to witness. When I was at La Sierra, I had a roommate And during the summer, he worked for the forestry division in Northern California. And when we got back uh, for the next school year, I said to him, um, how'd it go? And he says, oh, very good. I said, "Um, did they have any problems with your religion? He says, oh, they never found out I was an Adventist. Confess with your mouth and accept with your heart. This is Paul's message in Romans. This is the message. Paul is throwing off salvation by works and replacing it with salvation by faith and trust. And faith and trust bring about witness. Because once we have faith and trust, we can't help but witness. Then we come to that famous, those famous verses in chapter 12. Look at Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, Lord, here I am. I'm yours. Take control. Because I can't control myself. Every time you and I try to control ourselves, we make a mess of it, right? And we must turn ourselves over to him. 
Present your bodies a living sacrifice. I want to read to you from the modern translation out of Darkness Light, chapter 13. And this, I think, sums it all up. I want you all to aim for these things I have mentioned, and for a good reason. Because you have become fully aware of who you are and the times you are living in. Shake yourself out of any sleepy condition and wake up spiritually. The message of salvation for you, first put your trust in is closer to being fulfilled than ever before. And it is getting closer all the time. What we see approaching right now is the end of a long, dark night. Praise the Lord for that. Soon the rays of the greatest sunrise this world will ever witness will be blazing forth from the rim of the horizon. Now is the time to give up all your bad habits. Now is the time, there is still time, for you to get ready to live in the light of that new day that is coming. Each of us must learn to walk a new path as though that day were already here. We must shun the partying, the drinking, the bed hopping, the fights, and the jealousies. We must involve ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and stop planning, start planning, uh, I'd rather stop planning to satisfy our old nature. Now is the time. We look around us. But you know, as we, we talked about in our Sabbath school class this morning, Israel had all of the opportunities the king gave them the privilege. He was trying to clean up everything. He was trying to return them to the Lord. He was trying for a revival and a reformation. And we've talked about revival and reformation. And yet the Lord said, you haven't listened. Therefore, I must destroy you. You know... Our daughter called us last night, and um, she'd been watching the news. And it was interesting, <clears throat> and this was some of the comments. There in Oklahoma City, all of the warnings all of the warnings were there, and the reporters couldn't imagine the number of people who were just out running around as though nothing was happening. Is that what we're doing spiritually? 
We've had all of the warnings. We've had all of the indications. We've had everything that the Lord has told us is going to happen. And brothers and sisters, it's happening. But are we listening? Have we turned our lives over to the Lord? The message of Romans is a message of forget about salvation by works. Forget about self. It's faith and trust. Accept God. And he will see you through. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we want to be among those who will enter that new, new heaven and a new earth. You've given us all the instructions that are needed. You've given your life. And all it takes for us is to, return, to turn our lives over to you and let you be in control. So Lord, as the Apostle Paul said, now is the time. Let us surrender to you. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.